Welcome to New Season Ministry with Evangelist Jeremy Cook. We hope today's message will challenge, encourage, and uplift you in your walk with the Lord. Enjoy the message. So we're in the book of Mark tonight. We're going to be looking in Mark's Gospel chapter 8 and chapter 9 tonight. We, on Sunday nights, we have been in a, we've been in a series uh, Dr. Kennett, Sister Kennett's been teaching in the book of uh, in the book of Mark, and so I'm uh, as part of our as part of our Sunday night uh, lessons and discipleship, and I wanted to, uh, we're going to continue that tonight with the thought that Jesus is revealing His divinity to the people that are around Him. He is getting ready to reveal His glory or glimpses of His glory to the disciples and those that are around Him. And I find it interesting because because the Bible says that, that in Paul's writings, he says that God, that Jesus found Himself of no reputation, meaning that He emptied himself out and he took on himself the form of a man and he became obedient even to the death of the cross. And because of that, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things that are in heaven, of things that are on the earth and of things that are under the earth, and that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so through all of that, there is kind of these, this a debate, I should say. It's not really much of debate if you understand Scripture. But as to who this Jesus really is. Who is this Jesus that we sing about? Who is this Jesus that we, that we preach about? Who is this Jesus that we witness about? Who is this... Who is this Jesus that raised the dead, that gave sight to the blind, that, that opened up the deaf ears, that cast out devils, that, that hung on a cross between heaven and earth and cried that it is finished, but on the third day He arose and He triumphed over death and hell. Who is this man called Jesus? I'm reminded in John chapter 9, when we, are given, when we were given the account of a blind man who, uh, who Jesus spits on the ground and he anoints and he anoints the blind man's eyes with mud, and he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And when he went and washed, he received his sight. And the the religious folk that are that were around that understood what was that were questioning what was happening called this blind man, and he said, "You know, this said this man Jesus." He, he's, he's a sinner. And, I'm, and I love what the blind man said to the man who once was blind. He said, whether he be a sinner or not, I don't know. But this one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Amen? Who is this man named Jesus? Mark gives us, tells us a lot about this man Jesus. Well, the Bible tells us a lot about this man Jesus. And before we get to the meat of it, I want to kind of give you a little a, a, a little summary of what has been happening and what has been happening in Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 1, we see the fact that he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And in, uh, in Mark chapter 1, we see where he, he cast out an unclean spirit. In Mark chapter 1, he cleanses, Jesus cleanses a leper. And Mark chapter 2, we hear that, that wonderful account of four men that bring a paralyzed man to Jesus and lower him uh, and lower him through the roof. And Jesus looks at him and raises him up, heals him, and tells him that your sins are forgiven you. We see that he, in Mark chapter 3, that he heals on the Sabbath day. In uh, in uh, in Mark in Mark chapter uh, in Mark chapter five, we see that he heals a demon possessed 
man. Also in Mark chapter 5, we read about that he heals a, 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 and restores a life of a woman. When the Bible says that woman reaches out and touches the hem of his garment, it is made whole. He is, she is made whole and then goes to the house of Jairus and raises a dead girl back to life. We read in Mark chapter 6 about how Jesus feeds the 5,000 with just a few loaves and a few fishes. We see in Mark chapter 6 as well that Jesus walks on the waters and He calms the storm. And how the disciples even look, even the winds and the waves obey this man. In Mark, in Mark, chapter, in Mark chapter 7, we read about how Jesus heals a deaf man and somebody who, who is mute. Mark chapter 8, we read that He feeds the 4,000 and He heals a blind man at Bethesda. And that all sets up the backdrop of the question that Jesus is getting ready to ask. Because in this, we see all of these miracles and we can preach a sermon on each one of these miracles that Jesus Performs. But when we come to Mark chapter 8 and verse 27, the Bible says that Jesus is take, he takes his disciples and he takes them to the coast of Caesarea Philippi and he asks them this question, beginning in Mark chapter 8 and verse 27. The Bible says, Now Jesus and his disciples went out of the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said unto him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that he should tell no one about him. All of this that we see leads us to this, in my opinion, in this very crucial moment. Where in the coast of Caesarea Philippi, I wish I could give you a history lesson tonight about Caesarea Philippi. About how many historians believe that Caesarea Philippi was considered the entranceway to hell. Because it was in the coast of Caesarea Philippi that they would sacrifice, they would make sacrifices to the deity Pan. And they would toss those, they would toss those sacrifices into a cave as an offering to these false gods. And many there would attribute that place to be what they would consider the mouth of hell. That was the reason why that Jesus, after that Peter would confess who Jesus Christ was, that, that Jesus would look at Peter and say that upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. But in this case here, he is asking them, who do people say that I am? Because... It is very evident from the very beginning that in Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, Mark identifies who Jesus is. Because in the very first words of Mark's gospel, it says, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the debate of who Jesus is has been going on for centuries. Who is Jesus? Who is this man Jesus. Is he just a good prophet as some would ascribe him to be? Is he somebody that just worked a few miracles? Is he somebody that just did a few good deeds? Is he somebody that that uh, that they killed because he created that they were afraid that he was creating a, a, a insurrection, so to speak? Who is this man named Jesus? As believers, it is important for us to understand who this man is. It is important for the church of the living God 
to understand who Jesus is. If there's anything that I think that is happening right now in this season that we're living in right now is that Jesus is giving us, the church, a fresh revelation of who He really is. Because there may, there might, there might have been, there might have been some misconceptions along the way as to who this man is, as to who Jesus Christ of Nazareth really is. But I believe that God is revealing Himself one more time to His church. Amen. Amen. I believe that God is wanting to reveal Himself, who Jesus is to His people. You see, who is this man called Jesus? What are people saying about Him? More importantly, what do you say? Who do you say that he is? What does the Bible tell us about Jesus? What does Jesus have to say about him? As I said, Mark 1 and 1 starts off by telling us that he is the Son of God. But when we get to Mark chapter 8, it appears that Jesus wants to expose the false ideas. About him. Because the truth of the matter is, people just saw, people probably saw him in just a small framework of who he is. They saw the miracles, so it was easy to say he's a miracle worker. But he's so much more than that. He can open up the blinded eyes, but he's so much more than that. He can walk on the water, but he's so much more than that. He can raise the dead, but he's so much more than that. And I think that it is that that it is that it is that it is necessary for us to understand that God wants to reveal the fullness of who he is in these last days among his people. And God is wanting to reveal himself in the fullness. The Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The fullness of Him. Because Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And Jesus here wants to expose the false ideas because He asks them, He says, who who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they begin to say, well, some say that you are Elijah. Some say that you are one of the prophets. Some say that you're, you're a great miracle worker. If, I, if you'll give me some liberty just to add to this. Some people say that you are, you are a, some people say that you're a great preacher. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says never a man spake like this before. Some people, some people are saying, Jesus, that, that, that you know that you, uh, that you are the, the one that is going to, to redeem Israel from the corruption of the Roman government. Some people, some people are saying that you're a great preacher. Some people are saying that you are a great healer. But Jesus looks at them and says, that's great. But who do you say that I am? And that is the important thing because we have to understand. It is one thing to hear what everybody else is saying about Jesus. It is is important. It's it's something to hear what everybody else has to say about him. But what is he to us? What is Jesus to us? What is Jesus to us? Because it is important that we know the truth about Jesus. Because Jesus gets to the heart of the matter and He asks His disciples, who is He to them? And I find that interesting because I think that God is asking that same question to us in this season. Who am I to you? Amen? Amen. Who am I to you? Well, God, you're you're my way maker. Well, that's good. But that's just a part of it. Who am I to you? And Peter stands up and he gives the answer when he says, I know who you are. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. He says, you are the Son of God that is here for us. And I think that that is interesting because in these verses here, 
Peter knew Jesus because he had been living in close fellowship with him. You see, with all of these other miracles, here was the interesting thing. All these other miracles that we read about, really they weren't as in close proximity to Jesus as these disciples were. Which leads me to the understanding that the closer you get to Jesus, the more that He'll reveal to you. The more of Himself that He'll reveal. And we're getting ready to see something spectacular here in just a moment. Just how much He's getting ready to reveal to His disciples. See, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus would tell Peter, He says, Well, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven has revealed it to you. You see, the closer you live to Him, the more of Himself He'll reveal to you. Mm. See, here's the thing. Nobody knows me like my wife knows me. And the reason why she knows me like nobody else knows me is because she lives in close proximity to me. She knows how I am when I get up in the morning. She knows the things that irritate me. She knows the things that make me happy. She knows the things that bring joy to my life. She knows the, th- she knows the things that will upset me. She knows the foods that I like. She knows the foods that I don't like. She knows all of those different types of things because she knows my secrets. She knows what breaks my heart. She knows at times the joy that I carry and she knows the pain that I carry. And a lot of that happens and the reason why that is is because there is an intimacy between us because we are in, because we are in close proximity to each other. The person down the street doesn't know about me what she knows about me. And the same thing is true with God himself. The fact is is there are only some things that we'll know about God as we live in close proximity to Him. The closer that we get to Him, the more of His heart that we know. The more of His mind that we know. The more of His power we know. The more of His glory that we know. It is when we are in close proximity that God begins to reveal Himself. Hey, there is something here that I'm wanting to show you. There is something here that I'm wanting to tell you. There is something here that I'm wanting to talk to you. You can't get that standing on the banks away from Him. See, in 1 John 1 and 1, he writes this and he says, John would write and he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifest and we have seen And bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father was manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus. And these things we write to you. Why? That your joy might be full. See, I can tell you right now, God will begin to reveal Himself and who He really is as we get in close proximity. And what does that bring? That brings the fullness of joy in our lives. Can I just preach for a minute? If you don't have joy in your life right now, you may want to check how close you are living to the Lord. Because here's the thing, church. I don't believe that if we're living close to God, we ought to live depressed, defeated, stricken, dragging the bottom ground like we have no victory and that we have no joy. If we are living close to God, the Bible says that it is joy unspeakable and full of glory. He says if you live in close fellowship with Him, if it's something that you've seen, if it's something that you have handled, if you have handled the Word of life, He said your joy will be full. I don't listen. Uh, I, I'm gonna try not to. I'm gonna try not to meddle here. Just uh, well, you know me by, better than the, you, you ought to know me now, by now. Right. Listen, 
I'm tired of seeing joyless Christians. Listen, I'm tired. I'm tired of, of testimony services giving more praise to the devil than more praise to God. I'm tired. I, 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 I'm tired of us being defeated. Broke, busted, and disgusted, somebody said one time. But I believe that as we live in close proximity to the Lord, then, our, then the joy of the Lord is our strength. And all of this eternal life is made manifest because He reveals Himself to those that are close to Him. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 gives us a deeper picture of this conversation between Jesus and His disciples. This is the same conversation when the Bible says that He takes them to the coast of Caesarea Philippi and He says, Who do men say that I am? And we see part of this. Well, again, some say that you're Jeremiah. Some say that you are Elijah. Some say that you're Isaiah. You're one of the prophets. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Matthew, Matthew's Gospel goes into a little deeper of this conversation here. And Jesus says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven has did this. He says, And then he says, Then you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then he says, And behold, I have given you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And Jesus' revelation of his divinity and who he is gives us two things. One is, is that the church is built on this foundation of who Jesus is. It's not built, as some would say, on necessarily on Peter. Or even Peter's confession. But it is built on the foundation of who Jesus is. And if the church is going to be the church, it has to be built on the proper foundation or the proper revelation of who Jesus is. It cannot be built on anything else but the fact that He is Jesus the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. That's the reason why Peter could stand up in Acts and he could declare. He says, neither is there salvation in any other name but the name of Jesus. And churches who will not stand up and proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God is a false church. He has no equal he has no rival. Some, some, uh, some outlaw religions will like to say, will like to tell you that that he is that that he is Satan's brother and all of those different types of things. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus is the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. He didn't become God. He God. He is the second person of the triune Godhead. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. But if you want to get to heaven, if you need to receive salvation, it'll only come through Jesus Christ. And the church is built on the foundation of this revelation. And then listen to what else he says. Based on this revelation. Then he says. Now Peter. Here's the revelation. That's the revelation. God has revealed it to you. My father in heaven has revealed it to you. He says and now. 
You hold the key. That revelation, that key that you hold. Now you're able to do some things with that. And that is, behold, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever that you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That phrase is used two times in all of scripture. It is used here. And it is also used when Jesus is talking about brothers and sisters in church that have a disagreement with each other. And he says that when you're, if, if somebody has trespassed against you, he says, go and tell them their fault. He says, and if they acknowledge it and they repent of it, then you've gained your brother. He says, now if they don't listen to you, he says, now go take two or three others with you. He says, so that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. He says, now if, they, he says, now if you don't, if they don't hear them, then you take it before the church. And if they, refuse to, if they refuse to listen to the church, then you, you count them off as a publican and a sinner. And then he says, because whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he says, now, and then he ends it up with a scripture that we love to quote. He says, but if two or three of you agree as touching any one thing, it shall be done of my Father which is in heaven. And so that's the other place that you find this as far as it attributes to binding and loosing. But you also find it here in Matthew chapter, in Matthew chapter 16 when he says the revelation of who Jesus is. I've given you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The revelation of who Jesus is is what binds and looses. Whenever that you proclaim the gospel, the gospel has the power to bind or to loose. That's the reason why Jesus would say in Luke chapter 4. He says. For the spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to preach the gospel. To set at liberty. Those that are bound. What this revelation does for the church. Is it gives us. This revelation will either bind you. Or it will loose you. If you know who Jesus is. And God reveals himself to you. And you're bound in your sins and your trespasses. And your trespasses and your sins. You're bound in these bondages. And you acknowledge who Jesus is. The Bible says that the keys to the kingdom are available to you. And you are loosed. However. When you reject who Jesus is, you become bound. And that is the reason why, as it is on the earth, so it is in heaven. And in this one moment, Jesus reveals his, his divinity of who he really is. Then he talks about the purpose as to why He has come. In Mark chapter 8, the Bible says, And He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Verse 31. Must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him. And when He had turned around, He looked at His disciples he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. When he had called the disciples to himself, when he called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And look at chapter 9 and verse 1. And he said unto them, Assuredly I say unto you that there 
are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. So he reveals his divinity. Then he tells his disciples the reason why he is coming. He continues to unfold this revelation of who he is. And why he has come into this world. That he has come into this world to suffer and die for the sins of humanity. And be risen from the, gra- from the grave. This is the foundation of our ministry in faith. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and says that if God had not risen from the dead. Then everything else about this is in vain. He would say that, he would go on to say that if, if it's only in this life we have hope. We are of men most miserable. But Satan used Peter to tempt Jesus that going to the cross and suffering was not necessary. It's the same thing that we see in the wilderness when Satan would tempt Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And he would tell, he would show him everything of the kingdom. And Satan would take Jesus up into exceeding high mountain and show him the key is, show him everything pertaining to the kingdom and say, listen, all of this I can give to you if you'll simply bow down and worship me. Now here's what I find that is very, very interesting. Jesus didn't deny it. Jesus didn't deny it. But in essence, what Satan was telling Jesus was, listen, I know why you're here. I know, because listen, I heard it all the way back in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, when God spoke out of heaven and said that that it is through the seed of the woman that he's going to crush my head, but I'm going to bruise his heel. He says, you don't have to go to the cross. All of this here that you're getting to redeem back to you, I can give to you if you'll simply bow down. And worship me. Because that was all Satan wanted in the beginning. That's what got him kicked out of heaven. He wanted God's worship. He wanted to be on the same footing as God. What did Jesus say? He said, get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord God. And him only shall you serve. And so when Satan moved on Peter. He moved on somebody in the church. I mean, think about it. You ever been there? Don't. You don't have to confess anything right now. But I've been around church long enough to see somebody shout up and down and speak in tongues one moment and then the very next moment be used of the devil. Now, I'm not being critical or judgmental on, uh, on Peter's part. Peter didn't fully understand what Jesus was trying to say. But Jesus, but Peter said, no. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. And he said, and Peter and Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me. And Matthew's gospel, he said, you're an offense unto me. Hey, can you imagine if, if, if pastors and preachers and evangelists started talking to church folk like that? Wow. Man, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have much of a conversation. <laughs> I'm gonna move on, Pastor. Is that okay? We wouldn't have much of a congregation in most churches. But he told him, he said, get thee behind me, Peter. You're behind me, Satan. Peter, you're an offense to me. I know why I am here. He said, you think on the things of man. Your mind is not on the things of God. It's on the things of man. And how many times do we have people sitting in our churches 
that are, oh my, this is going to be, this is going to sound hard, but are an offense to God. Because we think on the things of man more than we do on the things of God. And he said, get behind me. I know my purpose. The greatest thing that you'll understand is when you understand your purpose. When you understand what God has called you to do and there's not a devil in hell that can, that can distract you from the purpose that God has called you to do. That's the reason why the writer of Hebrews would say, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And he would say, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. Jesus knew that the reason why he was called was to suffer and to die. And then he calls everybody to him and calls them to the same suffering. Mm. Well, I thought that Jesus was the only person that was supposed to suffer. I wish I could tell you that that's what the Bible says. But it doesn't. Because he would go on and he would say, Now, if you desire to come after me, take up your cross and follow me. Why we don't have to die for our sins because Jesus has died for our sins. There is still a cross that we must bear. Now let me, let me talk about some misconceptions here. Your cross in life is not some irritation. Amen? Amen. You... Driving to road, driving to work and having a flat tire is not your cross to bear. God didn't call you. That, that, that's, that's not a cross to bear. You know what dies on the cross? This flesh. We've made the cross, the church has made the cross to be a beautiful thing. That we wear around our neck. That we wear as a piece of jewelry. But the fact of the matter is, is that to everybody in this day knew that the cross was an instrument of destruction and death. And anyone who took up a cross had to die on that cross. We have to take up the cross in order to follow Jesus. Why? Because he had to take up the cross and he showed the example of us to follow. And that means that we deny ourselves. It wasn't until last night that I was was continuing to study this that I came to an interesting conclusion. Denying yourself and self-denial is two different things. Self-denial is... You're going through the buffet line at Golden Crown. And Pastor, I really want to Golden Crown today. Good grief. I'm, I'm heartbroken that there's not one around here open. The devil's really fighting hard, I'm telling you. Hey, I'm trying to be funny, guys. Amen. Praise the Lord. But self-denial is walking by that dessert where they have that chocolate fountain. You know what I'm talking about? And knowing that you shouldn't pack down your plate with all those chocolate-covered strawberries and marshmallows and things like that. And so you practice some discipline and go, you know what, I'm going to go over here and get me a couple of these sugar-free cookies and put put them on my plate and I'll eat those instead. That is, that is self-denial. I'm using discipline in that. But to deny yourself means that yourself dies. 
It's not a discipline that says, you know what? I'll do this in moderation. I won't go all the way. I'll just do a little bit of this. No, God calls, calls us to lay our lives down. Because it's not our lives anymore. The Bible says we have been bought with a price. Now therefore glorify God in our bodies. See, we've got to understand that when Jesus bought us with a price, we lost all rights and privileges to what this body gets to do. Amen. I don't have an opinion on anything. I don't have rights. I was talking to somebody at work the other day and I said the interesting thing is is that dead people don't have rights. And when we've got to understand this way of following Jesus, he says, you've got to follow the same way that I have followed. Which means there will be times of rejection. There will be times of persecution. There will be times of suffering. There will be times of ridicule. He said, Jesus would say, think not that I've come to bring peace. He said, I've come to bring a sword. I've come to set mother against daughter. I've come to set father against son. Why? Because it's the revelation of who I am. Because when you stand up and you you begin to declare, thus saith the Lord, the reason why we're considered bigots and the reason why we're considered intolerant and the reason why the work is that, that we're considered fascist and all those different type of things is because we stand up and dare to proclaim there is only salvation in one way. You can't get it through Buddha. You can't get it through Muhammad. You can't get it through anything else but through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, hell takes notice of that. And sometimes, sometimes, it's the cross that we have to bear. And it's the way, because listen to what he says. He says, if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. Everything in the kingdom is opposite. He said, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save him. For what doth it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? I know I'm long-winded tonight. Just bear, bear with me. i got to get this out of me tonight. Most people that know me know from a secular standpoint, my, one of my favorite people to listen to is Elvis Presley. I love listening to listen Elvis Presley. And had a Pentecostal mother, Assembly of God mother, was raised in church, knew all, knew all of that. If you've never done your research on that, I, and I'm not talking about the actual just, you know, little neat, cute little videos that they post about him, you know, singing gospel music and all those different types of things. I'm not talking about necessarily, I'm talking about actually do some deep research into the influences that were in his life. And you'll find out that how in the world a man with that upbringing can walk away from it all. Jake Hess t- told the story said he was talking to him in a dressing room one night. And Elvis looked at him and said, I know what God is calling me to do. And Jake looked at him and said, well, Elvis, why don't you do that? Why don't you surrender your life to God and do that? And he said, he shook his head and he said, no. He said, you know how many people would be out of a job if I did that? What does it profit a man should he gain the whole world and lose his soul? 
Now, I'm not making a judgment there because here's the thing. We sell out for a whole lot less. That's good preaching right there. But we sell out for a whole lot less. We'll sell out for a car. We'll sell out. We'll quit going to church if we can make $2 more an hour but have to work Sunday. My goodness. That's good preaching. But we'll sell out for a whole lot less. But what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And then he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Listen to what he said there. Jesus gave his authoritative word on what he thought about his generation. He called it an adulterous and sinful generation. If that's what he thought about his generation at that time, my goodness, what is his take on this generation? And everything that is going on in the world, that's the reason why. Let me, I'm just going to be honest with you. Give me about 10 minutes and I'll, I'll finish this up. Lord willing. Preachers that can't stand up and declare sin is sin. Yeah. And there is a way to walk in is the way of holiness. And when they're asked questions about sin, they'll beat around the bush about it. Well, it's just not my it's just not my place to judge, and it's just not my place to you know God loves God loves everybody. I want to tell you something. My Bible says that in an adulterous and sinful generation, if you're ashamed to stand up and declare what thus saith the Lord has to say, he said, I will be ashamed of you. And what we need, and I believe God's, still, I believe God's raising them up. I believe that God is raising. I believe that God is raising up obscure people that we have never, that we have never even heard of. Because, and regardless of what you want to think about, everybody else on their particular platform right now. The fact is, is that God needs a man, and God needs a woman, and God needs a boy and a girl that will just simply stand up flat-footed and declare what thus saith the Lord has to say. Somebody that will stand up and declare declare that Jesus is the only way. That will declare that sin is still sin. That will stand up and declare that there is a heaven to gain and that there is a heaven to shun. There is still, that there, there is still men and women that need to stand up and to proclaim that there, we still have to be holy because He is holy. There is still men and women that need to stand up and proclaim that there's no salvation under heaven among men whereby we must be saved but at the name of Jesus. Because here's the thing. Not everyone that saith Lord, Lord enters in. And he says, because then Jesus said, but many would come on that day and say, Lord, didn't we not cast out devils? Didn't we prophesy in your name? I know there's a lot being said about that. I'm not even going to go down that road right now. But there's a lot. You know, did we even prophesy in your name? Did we cast out devils? Did we heal the sick? Did not we do many marvelous works in your name? And here was the interesting thing. There's no indication that those things didn't happen. God didn't say, no, you didn't do that. And those things that have, that's the reason, my goodness, I'm trying to wrap up here, but this is just, that's just welling up inside of me. See, that's the reason why miracles, signs, and wonders are never the litmus test of a true move of God. The litmus test of a true move of God is whether or not if Christ is exalted above everything else. Because here's the thing, there's coming a day. There is coming a day that there will be a false prophet that will walk onto the scene that he can call fire down out of heaven. Uh, can, we just, can, we just, can we stand some biblical study here real quick? The Bible says in Revelation that this false prophet 
will cause, will do many wondrous works, will do signs and wonders. It is the same Greek phrase that is used for all the miracles of Jesus. And it culminates with a false resurrection. So you know what I personally believe is going to happen? And you listen and you listen to me study it out. I believe that when the Antichrist and the false prophet arrive on the scene, that they'll attempt to duplicate every single miracle that Jesus performed in the Bible. I personally believe that the false prophet will turn water into wine. Well, I just don't believe the enemy has that kind of power. Read your Bible. Because when Aaron threw down his rod and it became a snake, the Egyptians threw down their rods and they became snakes as well. So I believe that you'll see, I believe that, and I believe we'll be going and out of here. But deception will come on because, and we see it today, because we'll follow after signs and wonders. And we won't see whether or not if the person conducting the service, if their life actually lines up with the book. Oh my goodness. I didn't, I didn't mean to get off on all this. It's okay. Save me some. <laughs> but he said, if you can't stand up in this adulterous and, generate, and sinful generation... The Son of Man will also be ashamed of Him in His glory and in this. And I don't have time to get into it. But then in Mark chapter 9, He reveals His glory. A glimpse of His glory. To His three closest disciples. It's a progression, you see. He reveals who He is. He is the Son of the living God. He reveals His purpose. And then He reveals His glory. Because you cannot have the glory. There cannot be a resurrection without a death. Because in order for the seed to sprout up and a harvest to be at first that seed has to go into the ground and die. Yeah. And then from that the glory is revealed. In Mark chapter 9 he takes Peter, James and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And in one moment's time they see just a glimpse of the glory of who he is. See, it wasn't a miracle for God manifests in the flesh to show His glory. It was a miracle for Him to conceal the glory. But on that mountain in Mark chapter 9, He shows the glory of who He is. And He talks with Elijah and Moses, what did they talk about? The Bible says that they talked about his passion. And the reason why he had come into this world to go and die. It is important for us to know who this Jesus is. We live in a world right now that is in an upheaval. If I had time to talk to you tonight about everything that is happening that is happening behind the scenes on the world stage. You see, we think, don't get mad at me when I say this, we think something got stolen. But I personally believe that something got put into place. Because if you understood everything that is happening on the world stage right now, it is all set to one pivotal moment. 
that there is an antichrist that is going to arise on the scene. There is a church that is getting ready to be raptured out of here. There is tribulation that is getting ready to come onto this world saying like nothing that the world has ever noticed before. Because here's the thing, by the time the seven year tribulation is over with, three quarters of the world's population will lay dead. And while we're arguing about, well, was this person wrong or was this person right? And my guy didn't get elected and this got stolen and that got stolen and everything like that. Jesus is saying, will somebody just stand up and proclaim who I am? Will somebody just stand up and proclaim who I am? Jesus would say, no man knoweth the day or the hour that I'm going to return. Some theologians believe that even Jesus himself didn't know when he was going to return. I don't know. But I know that it is right now at the door. Romans says it is now high time for us to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when it first started. Jesus wants to reveal himself to those hearts that are hungry. We need men and women that will stand up and proclaim, Thus saith the Lord, that will stand up and declare who Jesus is. The best thing that you can do, and I'm bringing this to a close, is to share your story with somebody. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. I know how He did it for me. I know how He did it for my wife. That's one of the greatest stories to ever hear. That as she's crossing Highway 27 in Lake Wells, Florida, the Spirit of the Lord arrested her To let her know that it was a perfect time to stop running. And while she was trying, and you've heard me share this before. While she was trying to go find a fix. Or money. Those different types of things. And nobody was home. And then as getting ready to cross Highway 27... For those that have been down in Central Florida that know anything about Highway 27, that's not a safe road. And to kneel beside that highway and for God to radically change a person's life. That's the power of the God that I serve. Amen. Amen. Stand with me all over this house tonight. For those that are watching by Facebook, if you don't know Jesus, you can know Jesus. I just feel like, honestly, I feel like there's somebody that is going to be watching this. Has been running. Been running from God. Don't put it off. Stop running. Come to know Jesus. Return unto Him. Let Him reveal Himself to you. And all you've got to do is say, Lord, here I am. I surrender my life to you. God will make a brand new start right where you're at. All you've got to do is just say, Lord, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. The Lord will help you. Amen? Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, let us know.
Because we want to rejoice with you. We want to help you. We want to invite you to church. If you're able to come to church, I know that there are those that are physically unable to come to church. I get that. I understand that. That's not who I'm talking to. But if you can, if you can go to church, if you can make it to church, I encourage you. Be in the house of God as much as you can. Be a part of a fellowship of believers to strengthen you, to help you, to encourage you, to disciple you. It's important in these last days. We love you. We appreciate you. We'll see you Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message by Evangelist Jeremy Cook. If you would like more information regarding New Season Ministry, to schedule Jeremy to minister at your event, or to support the ministry with a love gift, please contact us at 859-404-4007. Or you may email him at pastorjeremycook at gmail.com. God bless and we will see you next time on New Season Ministry. Thank you.